All right, that terrible intro music is not going away anytime soon, so hopefully you can get used to it. We have another episode of Dirt Talk today. I'm your host, Aaron Witt, and on the show today is someone that I feel like a lot of you may may already know. If you don't, his name's Keaton Turner. He's the president of Turner Mining Group. He's been in business a few years now. He's been making a whole lot of noise online, recruiting completely differently, creating a totally new culture. And none of it's rocket science, but none of it's really been done in the mining world before. He, he found this enormous need for a nationally recognized mining contractor and has largely filled that void with a lot more room to run over the next few decades, I'm sure. So thanks for being on the show, Keaton. Thanks for having me on, brother. I'm a big fan of you. You already know that, though. Yeah, well, and I pulled the uh, you owe me one card since I was on your podcast, so you have to come on mine. Um, we're going to keep keeping track. Yeah. Someday we're going to run out. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. So I want to get right into it here. I've followed you for a, a long time. And I know everyone says that, oh, you know, I followed you from the beginning. But I remember, I mean, I distinctly remember reading your posts while at the gym, while I was in college, way before I'd started BuildWit or anything, while, while you were still with the company you were with prior. Why did you start sharing on social media? Because you were arguably one of the first in the industry period to start sharing pictures and what's going on, but probably the first to actually start sharing real details about the estimating process, the equipment selection process, production, all of that. I mean, you were arguably one of the first ones to do that. Why did you start doing that a few years ago? Well, a lot of people, when they ask that question, I tell them because I had the foresight that I needed a bunch of these workers someday down the road and I was going to steal people from Instagram. And that's partially true. But, you know, when I really think back to why I started posting, man, I was, I don't know, probably 24 or 5, something like that. And I just, I loved heavy equipment. I thought, man, this is such cool stuff. The jobs that I'm on and helping manage there's all kinds of cool stuff going on around me. And there was none of that on Instagram. And, you know, Instagram back then was a platform really primarily just for pictures. I don't even think video functionality had existed on Instagram. And so, you know, I'm trying to take these artsy little pictures with my iPhone 5S and just, you know, trying to get likes and all that back then. And then later, obviously, as it started to gain some traction, younger people started to see it and wanted to apply to work for us. And I, a light bulb kind of went off and I thought, okay, we may be onto something here because like you said, back then at my family's company, we had a tough time getting new young people to apply to come work for us. So I don't know, it just all kind of fell in place. And you just, you kind of did it without permission, right? There was, there was a time where you got a little in trouble for it. I have a hard time asking for permission Uh, and everyone's heard it. You know, you ask for forgiveness and not for permission, but you know, again, back then no one was sharing anything. And especially the small family company, some people are are raised in such a way that small business secrets stay small business secrets. And I I don't know. I just, I never really understood that. I was always more of a, a share it all type of guy, put it all out there. Even, even the ugly stuff, the bad stuff talk about it. But yeah, there are people that don't think that way. did not agree back then. Why do you think people are so hesitant to share when really, I mean, none of this is rocket science, right? Everyone loads trucks the same way. Everyone can go buy the exact same equipment. Why, why do you think everyone thinks this stuff is a secret and why are they so hesitant to share? Well, I think there's a few things that play into it. I think 
some of it's vulnerability. People just don't like to be vulnerable. Some yeah. of it's ego. They don't like to think that other people can do what they're doing, whether it's in business or moving dirt or whatever. I had one of our young guys come ask me the other day. He said, why don't we post, why don't we have a separate Instagram channel that all we do is post all of our incidents and accidents and OSHA and MSHA visits and all that. And the first thing I thought in my mind, which is the first thing that most business owners would think is there's no way I'm doing that. Yeah, It's way too vulnerable. I don't want, you know, and so it's just a, I don't know. I think some of it's human nature. I think some of it's just a generational difference, but there is just a, a certain level of vulnerability that you have to have in order to strike a chord with people in social these days. How have you learned to be vulnerable like that? Because I, I, I think it's a skill. I think it, it comes with practice like anything else. How, how have you gotten over those mental roadblocks to sharing and being so vulnerable about your business? This was something I recognized about two years ago. It was about a year after we'd started and things weren't popping as fast as I had hoped. I'm an impatient millennial. And so a year in and I'm like, man, we should be way farther along. And so part of what happened was just the anxiety and pressure and stress of eating me alive. And so I started posting being more vulnerable, not for my fan base or followers or any of that. I was doing it because it was kind of like, therapy for me. If I can type it out and get it out there, I can get it out of my head and off my chest. And people just started resonating with it. People were like reaching out. Yeah, man, I'm dealing with the same stuff. I got the same BS going on in my day to day. And I don't know, it just kind of morphed from there. When you're going through what it takes to build a small business from scratch, you know, when you're going through that and other people chime in and they're going through the same thing, it's, I don't know, you kind of fall a little community it's like yeah. a little drug yeah i have to agree there i think my posts have always been for me before anyone else <laughs> it's like it, yeah, it is that unique therapy the bonus. yeah yeah now so you said family company i think a lot of people again i think this is a misconception is family company means easy gravy you're handed everything it was your your uncle's company right yeah and i was talking with dave turin yesterday and he said he sent his kids to his brother and then his brother sent his kids to him because there's not that, you know, father son dynamic that gets in the way. So there's really no special treatment. <laughs> Is that really how it was for, I mean, you say family company, but was there special treatment or did you have to do what everyone else did? No, I mean, the first thing I'll say is family company is tough. Yeah. I mean, especially small business. It's incredibly tough. And of course I've got all the respect and admiration in the world for my uncle who did it through the school of hard knocks, didn't go to college, fought and clawed and scratched his way to build what he built. But yeah, I mean, I definitely got special treatment. I, you know, I was the only college grad back then at the time to to work for them. And so he kind of opened the door and gave me the reins and let me do what I wanted. And, you know, yeah, I helped grow the business and it was a lot of fun. I, I got crazy amounts of experience and exposure at, at a young age and I could be doing what I'm doing now without it but I talked about this with Connor Holman it's family and business is tough I mean family in general is tough right yeah. some people have my family especially on my dad's side hard-headed beyond your wildest imagination and I'm the same way so you put all that together then you put the stress of people in this industry not paying you on time people break in expensive equipment. I mean, it's a pressure cooker. Yep. That's what I'll say about family business. Yeah. My, my dad, he's, 
he's actually asked to be involved in my business multiple times and I've, you know, turned him down and, and he used to help me with contracts and all that. But it just got to the point where, you know, we, we had to go, you know, our separate ways as far as the business goes. And, and I had to tell him, you know, you can't have any more involvement in my business. If I go screw up and if I go make this mistake and I go get sued and these bad things happen to me, that's on me. Let me go do that. But I can't do this anymore. So someone that <laughs> whoever works with their family has my respect because I could not do it. There's no way. Obviously, I mean, people say, you know, live with no regrets. I've got a ton of regrets. And I think leaving a family business was a decision. That, yeah, it's worked out for me. But family should come before business. There's a lot of things that I would do different if I could go back. I'm sure my uncle would say the same thing. But, you know, I think business is tough and family is tough and this industry is tough. And I don't have any family working for me now. And some people may totally disagree with that. But, you know, it's I don't want my family involved with my bad days. Yeah. Now, at what moment in time were you like, you know, I think it's time to go off on my own. I think this has played out, you know, where, where it should have played out. And now is now's the time to actually pull the trigger on this. Well, I am self-aware enough and humble enough, I guess. I don't know if this would be considered humble, but I got an ego. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And I have known from early on that I had what it takes. I didn't really necessarily think I wanted to be in the mining business. But I always, I'm just a confident person. So take, take that for what it's worth. Some days that's a good thing. Some days that's a bad thing. And you know, so I always, I always knew in my mind I could do this. My hope was that I could do it for the family company and for a lot of different reasons. Like I just mentioned, family and business is tough. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this. And I was actually going to go into a different business. I was going to go into the timber industry. Mm. But some weird God things worked out and it didn't pan out for me. And so I thought, man, what do I know how to do? Well, I kind of know how to move dirt and motivate people and build a workforce. So I tried that and it's, it's worked out. But I, I, you know, I, I don't know. There was a day I was 27. I was getting close to my, well, actually I was 26, getting close to my 27th birthday. And I woke up and I thought, man, you know, statistics are saying my life's a third of the way over. I feel like I'm having fun. I had an awesome job and a salary and all that, but I thought, man, there's got to be something more. I got to, you know, I could do something special. And so, I don't know, decided to kind of blow up my world and start this crazy thing. You were married and did you have a kid at the time? Yeah, married. Been married for a few years and one year old little boy at home and newborn baby girl. So, what? And a mortgage and a dog and yeah. know, the whole thing. Yeah. So you had the life already. What, I mean, what did your wife think? Did, did she always know this was going to happen or, or what was her reaction? I mean, we had dated all through college. We had dated for, I don't know, six years or so at that point or been together six years at that point. She had already known I was crazy. Yeah. Uh, she figured that out long before. So <laughs> she just figured out, Hey, if, if her and I are going to work out long term, she's going to have to be one of those ride or die women. And she is, thank the Lord. Cause I couldn't have done it. I mean, there's been so many times, you know, Aaron, in small business where you come home and you're just like, man, I can't do this anymore. And yeah. so, yeah, she's obviously been the foundation. She stayed at home and raised three awesome. We've got three kids now. But to me, you know, there's days I think about what would I be doing if I were single? Would I still be doing what I'm doing? Would I be farther along? I'd probably be dead if I'm in this business single because she keeps me sane for sure. Yeah. I guess it's nice not to have that, but... I can see how it'd keep you grounded with all the stress and the pressure. That would be, it's like if a, you get the right escape. woman. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's tricky because there's a lot of people that, that are running businesses and they end up with the wrong woman. And yeah. trust me, I see a bunch of them. If you get the right woman doing what you're doing, what I'm doing, there's just, it's a, just a different game. Without a doubt, it's a different game. Now, I will say it's tough to find the right one and it's becoming tougher and tougher. I've got two girls, so I don't even want, want to go down that path someday. But it's, yeah, you find the right woman doing what we're doing, it makes a whole world of a difference. Now, going back to starting the company, do you think starting a company and running a company is for everybody? Absolutely not. Yeah, no. I agree. No, it takes a rare, not even a rare breed. It takes someone who's almost mentally unstable or mentally insane to go <laughs> through the physical, emotional, spiritual beatings you get every day. And I, and I say that, most people are going to shake their heads that are listening. Like, well, what does that even mean? You just don't understand. Yeah. Like, when I was helping build my uncle's company, I saw what he was going through, and I thought I understood because I thought, well, it's, it's my company too. Someday I'm going to help take it over, and it's a family thing. And so I treated it like it was mine anyway. It was a whole different world when I started this, and it is mine. And you just, I don't know, you can't put it into words. I've got a team full of rock stars standing behind me. I don't think any of them after seeing what what goes on here day after day would say, yeah, I'm, I can't wait to go leave here and start my own thing. It's just, you almost have to be insane. Yeah. It's so unrelatable to, I feel like, and especially like I'm here just doing what I'm doing, you're doing what you're doing. And then I'll have to go to like a, you know, family function or hang out with my friends. It's just, you're in a totally different world and it only almost puts you in this, this weird other world that makes it so hard to relate to other people and for other people to relate to you. That's what I struggle with most is it's completely different. And even my, even my parents, they just don't understand. And it, it pisses me off. And like, I likened it to my, my dad and the other day we got into it and he had just painted his house and I, I come into his house and he is so proud of getting his house painted. He had worked, you know, a week to get his house painted. But to me, it's like, I don't care. I just had my ass beat for a week. I'm trying to, you know, get a line of credit and I'm trying to pay bills and I'm, I'm worried about insurance and I'm worried about 15 other things. And then I have to sit there and be like, wow, you know, great job. You got your house painted. And it is just, it's so hard for me to connect with other people now that I'm in this different world. I mean, it's spot on. And the people that either own or have started small businesses, their listeners are shaking their heads like, yeah, that's, that's around the money. Because I remember back my first 18 months of doing this, I did not have one day of happiness. Like I didn't have one day of fun, one day of happiness. And it sounds weird because there's, you know, you can look back, there's pictures of me smile and this and that, but inside your brain, your brain is doing, you know, humans are built to like survive. And I'm forcing myself in this environment where I don't know if I'm going to survive each and every day I wake up. Can I pay payroll? Can I pay my equipment dealers? You know, you do all this, your brain runs through all that. It's not a fun, glorious, glamorous thing. You get paid last. You pay taxes first. You pay people. You know, it's just, there's so many, we could spend the next three hours talking about how hard it is and how crazy you have to be to go want to do that and live through it. I don't think we do it justice. Well, and this goes to, you know, happiness versus fulfillment, right? People think the quote, you know, you love what you do and you'll never work a day in a life. I see that. And I have a big, big, big problem with that quote, and I think it's been completely twisted into something that society wants it to be. But 
you are where you know you should be, and you're probably more fulfilled than you have ever been in your life, that doesn't necessarily mean it's happiness every day, right? It's happiness very few days. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are days where we get the big wins. We just got a big win a few days ago, and you're, you're super happy. That day's awesome. But one thing I started to realize is I was only happy during certain circumstances, and it was so short-lived. And I recognize this pattern. I'm like, wait a second. The majority of my life isn't filled with happiness. It's filled with all this BS I'm dealing with trying to build a business. But when I have a special circumstance that allows me to be happy, I'm happy for a while. And so I had to just figure out the money really doesn't matter. I say that, and I had to convince myself that it was true. I'm a money guy. I like money. I like nice things. But I had to convince myself that money doesn't matter. This business doesn't matter. It's how I treat people. It's my own happiness. It's raising a family. Like those are the things that keep me grounded. And so even on my worst days, I mean, I have alerts on my phone reminding me to tell myself that. That's how crazy it is to try to do this industry, this business. Yeah. It's almost said a jokey manner. You know, you get your, your kicked in the balls, but I mean, I can kind of relate there. You, you probably go to some pretty dark places quite a bit. All the time. All the time. I just talked to one of our equipment guys here the other day about it. I made the joke. He's got a standing desk now. And it's because he gets kicked in the balls so many times he couldn't <laughs> sit down anymore. So, you know, but I, you know, I say that I've had to learn how to enjoy the hard conversations, the bad conversations, the ones that like when you and I, we had our conversation a couple, you know, two years ago or however long it's been ago now. You have to learn how to enjoy that stuff or it just keeps you alive. Yeah. Yeah. You do have to learn to enjoy the process because if you don't enjoy the process, you're in for a life of total misery. So going to the first six, 12 months, I think everyone, especially now, some of us have been around since really day one, you included, obviously. What was the first six to 12 months actually like? Because I know it was not what it looks like and what appears to be now. What was the first job, the first few jobs? What was it, you know, starting a mining company actually like? I mean, hands down, the worst, easily the worst 12 months of my life. And I don't say that lightly. Like, I would never, ever want to go back and live through all that because there were just times, like, I, I've got my own theory on depression and all that. And, and there were just times I'm like, dude, this is, this is heavy, deep stuff. I don't know if I can get through this. So, yeah, I'm hands down the worst 12 months of my life. The first eight months, I mean, I went on more site visits. I quoted more proposals in the first eight months than I had my previous eight years. Yeah. And I got no, 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 no every single time. So I had two babies in that amount of time. And to say that was my worst 12 months of my life is pretty, pretty wild to say. There's just nothing that can prepare you for taking the leap of faith on your own, hoping it works, it doesn't work, landing your first job. And we landed our first job and lost 30 grand on the very first one. Yeah. And so I'm looking at myself thinking, okay, you thought you could do this. Someone finally said yes and lets you come do it and you lose 30 grand. What the thoughts that were going through my mind, I just can't even put into words. And $30,000 at the time was probably a ton of money. Well, when we had made zero dollars, you know, yeah, it was it was a ton of money. How do you convince a company to even give you a chance in the first place with nothing? You know, it's a great question. I think you just ask so many people 
that you find the dumbest person that takes a chance on you. <laughs> and, and I say that kind of jokingly, but kind of serious. Like, yeah. I don't know. Because if I'm some of these people in a 27-year-old with no real company, we didn't own any equipment, we didn't even own any pickup trucks when this first person said yes, we didn't have anything. We didn't have an office. To convince someone to say yes, I think you just have to be so cheap and lose money on it mm. just to get the picture. Like, like I almost look at that $30,000 that we lost as kind of the stupid tax that got the ball rolling because yeah. then we used some of that marketing material. You know, I went out and took iPhone 5 pictures and, and made ourselves look a lot bigger than we were. And I don't know. I, that's how I did it. I don't know if that's the right way to do it or not. Yeah. How do you convince people to join you too? So you can get the job and, you know, the big struggles, people, how do you find a crew to go move the dirt? Because you're not doing it yourself. You're not running the machine. You're not driving the trucks. How did you convince those early people to join you? You know, I used to interview and hire every single person that we hired and I did it all myself. I tried to find the people that were the right culture fits, but you know, truth be told, we hired a lot of idiots over the last three years that just didn't work out. And I, and I say that in a loving way. I think you just have to try. You get a couple people that you like, you show them off to the world, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever. They show their buddies pictures of themselves. I don't know. The culture thing is hard to create. I think it's almost impossible to change once something's created, but it's, it's pretty hard to create. Yeah. How do you know someone's not the right fit? Oh, man, I could answer that one in so many different ways. I mean, you know they're not the right fit when they just aren't a good human being. And I say that, and I know people probably get tired of hearing that. This is not a super complicated business. Yep. We pull rocks out of the ground, we put them in a truck, we haul them somewhere, and we put them back on the ground. And I'm kind of watering it down, but it's just not complicated. Yep. Being a good human being is fairly complicated, right? You've got these ethics, you've got these morals, you treat people well or not. I think if we can start with people who are just naturally good humans, I think that's been my recipe for adding people to our team, especially early on. But how do you, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, you've said people have made some bad mistakes and they're eventually, you give them a second chance and they're great now. They're huge parts of your business now. How do you discern from a bad person versus a bad mistake? It's tough. I mean, I wish I could catch it in the moment. I would have saved us a ton of money over the last few years. Yeah. I think there are trends and patterns. I think people that try to cover up their mistakes or, you know, are dishonest when the mistakes do come to light. I think there's just some pattern recognition that has to happen. I said this here a few weeks ago to one of the people that were here in the office. I'd rather have someone make a big mistake and the company pays for it. But that employee comes to us and say, man, you know, I screwed up this mistake I made. Uh, I just wanted you guys to know about it. Like I'm cool with that. I'll pay that mistake fee all the time. When I have a big problem with it is when people come up, you know, a year after the fact and blame it on someone else or play the victim card. It's just, for me, it's just kind of pattern recognition, but yeah, we've, We've had to deal with some huge mistakes, very costly mistakes from some people. So going to money, and I'm like you, I love money. I grew up around money. I think 99% of people, I feel like, don't actually understand money and understand how to use it as a tool and a force for good and a force for change. It's just, it's an unbelievable tool. 
So to start a business, you obviously need capital. How did you start? And your business is very capitally intensive. How did you start You know those first few jobs? Where did the capital come from to get the trucks, the payroll, the insurance, and diesel fuel, all of that? Well, again, I got lucky. And I think business does take a certain amount of luck. I think it takes a certain amount of experience and knowledge and brain power and all that. But I think luck definitely is part of it. I got lucky. I grew up on the same street as one of my best buddies, and he came back into my life somewhere right after college. He went to college. I went to college, different places. And so we reconnected after college, and he's just as crazy as I am. He was someone that has, you know, his family's always been in business. He loves business himself. And so we just had drank beer together for like four years, just after college, just as buddies. And he had always convinced me, hey, you ought to start your own thing. You ought to start your own thing. And so one day I just took him up on him. Like, I'm going to start my own thing, but I want you to be involved with it. And so, you know, he's just someone that has helped me avoid all kinds of issues. Now, we are pretty dangerous together. We've been, we, there's been several issues that we couldn't avoid financially, insurance, legal issues here and there, but he's someone that he saw the vision. He knew what I was doing at my previous company and he wanted to be a part of it. So together, him and I, we just decided, let's do this crazy thing. We had a banker friend of ours who I'd played golf with, you know, for the past few years, he had seen what I was doing at my previous company because at my uncle's company, we had tremendous growth. I mean, we've seen growth here at, at Turner Mining Group as well. Yeah, we had crazy growth with his company, and so there were people that were taking notice. It's not like I just one day popped out somewhere and decided to start this. I actually had a little bit of legitimacy behind me. So we got lucky. A banker said, "You know what? I think you guys might be onto something." Here's a. I think we started with a three hundred thousand dollar line of credit yeah. from just our local bank, local small banker that just he had some belief in what we were doing and. You know, as we've grown and profitable, we've extended that I don't know how many times now. But yeah, it's just people think you've got to go raise all this money. You've got to have all this debt on your balance sheet. Like we, I don't even think we bought a piece of equipment until like last year. You know, we'd buy pickup trucks and finance them through the bank because anybody, the bank will loan anybody money for a pickup truck. It's pretty easy collateral. But, you know, I'm just not a big debt guy. So that goes into buying versus renting equipment. So how have you been able to leverage renting equipment to keep those machines off your balance sheet and stay flexible over the past few years? How have you, how did you start a mining company without buying a piece of equipment? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, there's a couple of reasons why I'm a huge fan of renting. One, like I said, I don't love debt, especially big long-term debt. And so, and when you're a young company, I mean, let's, let's be real. I was 27 with a $300,000 line of credit. We couldn't have afforded to buy anything. Yeah. You know, a home truck is, is $600,000. Yeah. So we couldn't afford to just go buy stuff. So part of it was we were forced into renting, but we still rent 70 plus percent of our fleet now. And we can buy a lot of different things, but we rent 70% of our fleet now. because I just don't like long-term debt. When projects end, I want that rental equipment to go back. I don't want to have to go bid work at cost just to win it, just to keep the cash flowing in so I can make machine payments. Yep. I have a hard enough time sleeping at night anyway. I don't want 
$20 million worth of long-term debt for our equipment fleet sitting out there. And our, our fleet now, and if you figured up the dollars on our rental fleet and we own and lease some stuff as well, I mean, we're, you're talking, you know, $200 million worth of stuff, $150 million worth of stuff. That's a lot for any company to keep on a balance sheet. So it's, for me, it's, it's a great way to limit long-term debt and give you the ability to really scale up pretty quickly. Are there instances where that hurts you compared to the guys absolutely. that own all their equipment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we lose, I mean, shoot, I, I would bet 90% of the contracts we lose, we miss out on are because someone has got cheaper equipment that they've owned and appreciated out or just their, their finance payments are cheaper. There's a whole dark place in this industry about buying equipment and financing it and just cash flowing the project to, to make your finance payments. Yeah. Then there's the other side of like real owner operator cost per piece of equipment. A lot of companies don't even really know their true ownership and operating cost of the equipment. They don't take into the account, you know, when you turn a lease back in or when you have to go sell the machine and it didn't hold the value on the books you had it for. Yeah, there's just there's all kinds of that that no one really ever explains to you. So I've had to kind of figure that out on my own and you just learn through trying and making mistakes, but it's a game. How have you guys figured out what equipment to buy? You know, you said, you know, 70, 75% rent. So you have bought some, what, how have you figured out what pieces to buy and where? Well, there are people that brand loyalists will say what they want. Honestly, if you look at statistical data, cat machines hold their resale value better than anything else. Yep. And I'm talking about dozers and excavators specifically. So yep. we buy D8 dozers, we buy D6 dozers, we buy CAT 374 and 349 excavators because the residual, when we're done with these things, and we don't run equipment, we try not to run it past five or 6,000 hours. Just downtime becomes a killer. I know a lot of people are shaking their heads, thinking we're crazy. We don't have time for me to explain all that. But for us, we're buying CAT machines D8s, D6s, stuff that's really going to hold its resale. But when we're done with it, there's a line of people standing in line ready to buy these things. Gotcha. Now, what's the deal behind that older 385? <laughs> that's a rental. Oh, okay. I don't even know the full story behind that thing. It's by far the oldest machine we've ever rented. And I'm not even sure who the dealer is or if I'm even allowed to say. But yeah, it's, that thing's a rental. But it's a workhorse. What are the problems that you've had around equipment? What kills you? What keeps you up at night regarding equipment? Because I know equipment's a huge piece of it. What are the problems you've run into? You know, for us, it's just people treating it like it's their own. So many people, it's it's kind of like, you. I'm going to take a jab at you. It's like you getting in a rental car. And you said one day, this, this thing is going to see more airtime than a skateboard at the X Games or whatever. You said. I don't even know what you said, but it's, yeah. it's the same thing. Like yeah. it's, if I'm an operator or I'm a truck driver, I'm in someone else's truck. And oh, by the way, it's not even my company that owns it. They're just renting it. Well, shoot, I really don't care about this thing now. It's a tough thing to communicate to a field force of 300 people that, hey, treat this stuff like it's your own $600,000 Lamborghini or it's your million dollar house or, you know, yacht or whatever, you know, whatever your thing is that you're, you know, working towards someday. Like, this stuff's expensive. Every time something breaks, it's very expensive. So for us, I mean, that's it. It's trying to get 
the culture in our staff and in our field force to recognize that, yeah, we want to be a good client to our dealers. We want to treat their equipment better than any other contractor. That's a tough thing to nail into people's heads. Yeah. Well, and, and I make rental car jokes all the time, but I try to, like, we vacuum out all the rental cars that we return because we put so much mud in them. It's like, I could just return it and, like, uh, it got trashed. Like, so what? It's a rental car. But I just, that's just bad karma, I feel like. And that's just, like, basic human decency, <laughs> trying to take care of stuff that isn't necessarily yours. Or, like, Andy Frisella talks about this all the time, and I've been doing this a lot now, like, just picking up trash. It's not yours. It's not your problem. You could sit there like everyone else says, you know, it's just, it's not my responsibility. That's not my job. But then you sit there and you're like, it's just those basic habits that create success over time. Just as simple as picking up trashes or taking care of the truck that you're, that you're trusted with, or just, Hey, there's an empty water bottle in the cab. Like just taking that out, even when it's not yours, it it is your responsibility. And there's so many people that are listening to this that just miss that little detail. And I think stuff like that, those little bitty tiny details are what make people successful after trying for 20 plus years. I'm all about Andy, you know that. And the stuff he's talking about now with just talking to people, talking to strangers out in public for a few minutes, like little stuff like that, taking care of rental cars and, and equipment, like it's going to make you a more successful person. It's weird how the universe works how God works. I'm telling you the little bitty details like that make all the difference. And, and it's just crazy how many people don't, don't get it. Don't understand it. Don't even attempt to understand it. Yeah. I grew up around a lot of successful people. All my parents or my friend's parents were somebody, somebody very, very powerful. And so I got to study all these guys and just watch what they did. And it really was what differentiated them from everyone else. I guess there are two things. One, the attention to detail, and just the smallest things would be enormous problems for them. The smallest things that you think, like, why is a guy in a $20 million home caring about how much lunch just t- costed? And then two is their ability to have no interest in what other people really think about them and criticism and other people's perception of them. They just don't care. They're just 100% them doing what they do, oftentimes extraordinarily quirky but it's it's those two things, I feel like. It's that just attention to detail and that ability to just be holy themselves that I think is why that they're, they are where they are. Yeah, if you're going to give up on small details, and people say this about sports teams at an early age, like if you're going to quit on the team at an early age, you're going to quit in life forever. You know, if you're not going to pick up trash or you're going to throw, like if someone literally throws a water bottle out the window. I just learned all I need to know about that person. Sounds yeah. weird, I know, yeah. but I just truly believe it. I, I totally agree. So the early days, painful, trying to figure it out. You guys have experienced massive growth. I, I just saw an article the other day that re- basically you know reported your guys' revenue, what theoretically was nine figures at the time. So going from zero to nine figures in revenue is just, stupid growth. And I I can imagine how many problems that creates. You said recently in in a post that you've had to take your foot off the gas a little bit, get a lot of things sorted internally. What kind of problems does that fast growth create within an organization? I mean, the the problems really are endless and I'll, I'll hit on a few of them. And I haven't really address this even with our own field force. Of course, our staff knows it, you know, our back office staff, but we haven't really quoted anything serious 
in the last six months. I guess prior to a few weeks ago, we kind of started getting after it again. But yeah, we had to coast for a while. We had so many operational issues. You talk to any one of our people around here, and some of the stuff that we had to figure out, we were either going to figure it out or we were going to be out of business. And you, you, you wonder how that can even happen with those kind of revenue numbers. And oh, by the way, we're still profitable at all those revenue numbers. That's no outside investment. Like that's organic growth and profitability. But yeah. figuring out how to do this stuff operationally, you know, how do we how do we hire people the right way? Instead of just onboarding them and sending out to the site. We, by the way, we still haven't perfected it. You know, how do we manage production nationwide? How do we manage a moving rental fleet when stuff moves everywhere? How do we manage our receivables? Our receivables today, that means money that our clients owe us, is as much as the total amount of revenue we did a year ago. <laughs> so it's like in our, our, our current line of credit, it's, it's crazy. I, I don't talk about this enough. Yeah. Our current line of credit is inadequate. And we've already maxed out. I, I don't even want to say the amount because it's stupid. It makes people sick. Like there are so many things that a young company with, oh, by the way, a young leader, I'm only 30 years old, so I don't, I don't have it figured out. Yeah. You just, you've got to go through the growing pains and the bottlenecks that are causing the most pain sometimes take the most amount of time to fix. And so we recognize a lot of operational issues here behind the scenes. And we took six months to figure it all out. And we're back to, I don't know, three quarters throttle, maybe full throttle by now. Can you give an example of one of those issues that you really needed to work through? Yeah, I mean, we, we took on a line of business last year. We attempted to do some material processing, so crushing, screening, conveying in a couple really, really intense geographical areas. So crazy weather, crazy material, just stuff that it, they were huge volume contracts, night and day, 24 hours a day. It was, we bit off a lot more than we knew how to chew. Yeah. And we didn't recognize early enough that we couldn't chew at all. And mm. so, you know, we had, it was kind of a humility pill to say, hey, wait a second. This is not all as easy as it looks and as it sounds. I mean, money, money just doesn't fall from the heavens every time you want a contract. You actually have to execute, you know, at the highest level. And so, yeah, we had a couple of those that we, we weren't looking in areas we should be looking. We didn't, assess the risk appropriately. And so, yeah, it just, it was a huge learning curve. And we told, there were two clients specifically, we told both clients, listen, we're going to finish it out, but we've, we've done you guys a disservice. Of course, we've, we've shot ourselves in the foot on these two, but it just, sometimes you, you need to recognize you don't have the systems in place to catch the problems. So for me now, and I'm not a systems guy, for me now, we've got systems for everything. We want to catch problems before they become a big problem. Every, every single one of these jobs every day, and I don't know, we've got sites all over the country. Each individual site, if one day goes wrong, that's a big number. If yeah. 10 days go wrong, that's a huge number. And when you have multiple sites where 10 days go wrong, it's a killer. So we've really had to break it down into systems and, and put safeguards into place so that we can pull the fire alarms when need to. Now that's, I guess that's a big um, pill to swallow in terms of humility. How have you kept ego in check? Because, you know, you're, you're 30 years old 
And from zero, you created a nine-figure business that's across the entire country, you know, with hundreds of employees. How do you how do you keep ego in check with you and with the company as a whole? I mean, when you're hitting that many home runs, or I mean, really, it's you know, base hit after base hit. You're you're winning a lot. How do you maintain humility? And and have well, you and have you let it get away from you at times? I, I, yeah, I mean, I absolutely let it get away from me all the time, and I think if if you were interviewing anybody here in the office, they would be laughing, thinking <laughs> I'm sitting here talking about the ego thing. I had a couple buddies. We have some buddies that are here downtown, and they'll stop into the office because they know we've got a free keg in the back, and so they'll come over. I was on an interview with Forbes the other day, and and they knew about it, and so you know, there's a lot of people that especially peek in. They don't really get to see what's going on, but they peek in. And it's, I don't know, the ego thing is tough for me because I'm so confident in myself. And, and I've told people this openly, like if this whole thing fails, this crazy thing that we're building, if it fails, I'm doing the exact same thing again. I've learned my lessons. Like that's just the level of confidence I have. Yeah, Ego is it comes across as ego sometimes, but really to me, it's just confidence. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I let it get away from me all the time. I'm in meetings with our staff here. I'll tell them, well, based on what I've lived through in the past, this is what we should do. And I, I try to let it get away from me more than I can control it. But the reality is for me, I try to put myself around people who are smarter than me. Mm. And you, you know, you look at all the people here in our team they all do their job better than I could do their job. And so it's tough to walk around with the biggest ego when you can't execute as well as some of the people around you. You know, it's kind of an ego killer. A lot of small businesses, the owner, the founder, the guy, he's the best one. And so he walks around with the biggest ego because he can do everyone else's job better than they can do them. I'm just looking for people that can do their job better than I could do it at every level. I mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat there. I'm the biggest idiot at our company, by far the biggest idiot. It's amazing how smart everyone is at our company. And I'm not fooled into thinking I need to know how to do everything. Like developing a website, I could give a shit about developing a website or knowing how to develop a website. I'm just going to hire a smart person that can do it for me and you know, give them trust and help them understand the big picture and, and the values of the business and how we operate and how we think and how we serve our partners. But as far as doing their job goes... I can't comment on a single thing about it because I don't know anything about it. But then that's okay with me. It served me well. Well, people, people probably think you're trying to be humble by saying you've got a bunch of smarter people around you. And I just don't think that's it. I, I know you're a humble guy. I feel the same way. Like it doesn't take an absolute genius, high IQ rock star to build something worth building. Because yeah. I'm just not that smart. I was never a phenomenal student in school or any of that. You know, I think it's more team building and leadership and trusting in people and just putting the right people around you. This thing runs a whole lot more smoothly now than it did the first year when I was the one, you know, running everything. So the ego thing, I think if I can address my own ego and make fun of it and joke about it, and I joke about it to everyone here in the office because my name's on everything. It's on every truck. You know, I don't know. I think that helps it. But yeah, I definitely still have, still have an ego. Oh, you, you kind of have to have an ego doing this too. You, you have to be confident in your ability to deliver. And the thing about the intelligence too, it, it, it only motivates me because if I can do what I've done, then damn near anyone can do it. So I, and I think about this daily, like if I've done this, 
I'm not anything special. So that means anyone can go do it. So that means I need to go run even faster than I'm running right now and keep running or else someone's going to catch me. I mean, even, and I make up all these like theoretical boogeymen in my head that are running after me that I'm running away from. And that's, I mean, I run through that like little thought exercise daily. And I genuinely believe it. Like if I've done this, anyone can do it. So I am nothing and I need to keep running even faster now. I need to do even more because someone's going to catch me. Absolutely. I feel you. We haven't done anything that special that someone can't go recreate it and do it better. So you better keep pedaling as fast as you can because there's going to be people chasing you someday. Yeah. And especially like mining, there's nothing proprietary about it. You're moving dirt. You're blasting rock. I mean, it, it, it is, it's so stupid simple. There's nothing, the people, the differentiator that you've talked about all the time, the culture. Uh, yeah, as, I tried to patent digging. It turns out you cannot patent digging. So I'm stuck doing it the same way as everybody else. But the funny thing is these big mining companies, it, it, it's almost like they do hold a patent on digging and like, oh, come on, you can come on our site, but you can sign this NDA. It's like, why am I even signing an NDA? Do you understand what an NDA even is? And do you understand what you guys are doing here? Like everyone already knows about it. You're moving dirt. I can't go take this ore deposit and go put it elsewhere. Like what? That's a whole can of worms. That's going to get me wound up. What are you like insecure about? What do you worry about and are insecure about? You're confident, you know, you have this vision, you have this big company. Like what are the things you still need to work on and, and that worry you as an individual? I mean, I think for me being a young guy, a young leader of a, fast-growing company. You know, most of the people that are watching, I feel like, and maybe this is not completely accurate, but I feel like most of the people that are watching are just waiting for it to fail, or, you know, waiting for it to not work out and, yeah. and us not be the hero of the story and so on and so forth. And so, I don't know, as a young leader, being 30 years old, there's just a ton of leadership that I don't know about. There's a ton of lessons that I haven't learned yet, whether it be expensive lessons or people lessons or whatever the case may be. I've only been out of college for 10 years now or, or nine years, I guess. So I, for me, that's what I'm insecure about. I'm insecure about the amount of time. I know long-term I'll figure it out, whether it's with this company or some other company, whatever. But it's a wild thing to sit here and watch our company operate and knowing that I'm the guy steering the ship. Uh, now, we have a lot of people steering the ship, so I'm not the only one. I don't want to sound like that. but. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole level of insecurity around the whole thing, either working or not working, and that that responsibility sitting on your shoulders. Yeah, and I mean, there's hundreds of families depending on you now, so that's just <laughs> that's that's a lot for a 30 year old mind to process, even. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. You know, I'm a religious guy, and so you know, I I believe you know, to a lot is given, a lot is trusted, and and I'm up for the challenge. I think what keeps me so excited is just knowing how short this life is and how short this ride is. And so, you know, yeah, I, my wife texted me today and she's like, man, this is just such a fun journey. And I love to see it all. And it's fun to live through it, even with all the BS and all the bad days and the ball kickings and the clients that don't pay and all that. Like, what else am I going to do with my life? I can't work at a bank. I would be, it'd be over. Yeah. Does religion play a part in business? You know, for me, it does. I'm one of those people who I try to separate everything out. You know, I don't I don't think religion plays a part in our government. I don't think it, you know, I know one nation under God and, and I'm, I, I'm a Christian. I, I love it all. For me, it's really the foundation of our company. And I don't even talk about it that much with our people 
some of the relationships I'm still building. So I don't want to scare everybody off as, yeah, yeah. as this holy roller or anything like that. Cause I, I'm, not, I'm definitely not. And we have a take of beer back here in the office, but yeah, for me, loving people, you know, our slogan, you know, love P it's kind of the unofficial slogan, love people, move dirt and make life better in the mining industry. Like those are, to me, those are like biblical things. Like I want to be the type of guy, the type of leader that is godly and virtue and, you know, loving people through all their BS. And so, yeah, for me, religion is definitely something that has helped me in business, has helped me through the dark days, has reminded me, you know, what I'm doing all this for. I think you know, religion plays a big part in a lot of businesses, but a lot of people are afraid to talk about it. Everyone, I mean, almost everyone's afraid to talk about it for that reason. They don't want to be billed as that, the Bible thumper or whatever it may be, whatever, whatever negative connotation is there. But yeah, it's just such a fascinating piece of all this is the mental game and the emotions and religion is so tied into the mental game and emotions and values and leadership. And so I just, you know, you brought it up. I wanted to ask about that. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, my purpose here on the surface is not mining and it's not building a company or building several companies. You know, it's just not my purpose. My purpose is people and loving on people and eventually through relationships, spreading the word and, and all that. I struggle with it because I'm so messed up myself. It's hard for me to get super vulnerable and preach to people when I got a lot of work to do myself, but it definitely plays a huge role in what I'm doing. Yeah. On mistakes, let's, can we get into story time here? What's a, an expensive mistake you've made? Cause you've said, you've said a lot of times over, you know, we've made really expensive mistakes, but I want to get into, you know, what, what one of those mistakes was that you made that was like, Oh man, that stings and you will not make it again. You know, you put your hand on that stove and you know, it's real hot now. I always say my, my most expensive mistakes are people mistakes mm. and trusting the wrong people with the wrong things, whether it be trusting someone with equipment or with managing a, a team of people or whatever. Hands down, my most expensive mistakes are people mistakes. And sometimes I'm the person, FYI, I'm the person involved in the people lessons. But like the crushing story I went back to earlier, and there, there's another one. We had a new line of business on the East Coast, and I had put somebody in charge to manage really a huge chunk of work that was what I thought was right in their wheelhouse and they could handle, but turns out, you know, six months later, they just couldn't handle it. And for a lot of different reasons, I had put my trust in this person because I had worked with them in the past. I knew him. I loved him. Legit guy, tons of experience, but it was, it was a huge mistake. We had not failed the clients. We still delivered. We were doing all their mining and everything. And, and we were fulfilling our part, but we had failed our own business with the way we were managing the work and how it was being conducted and, and all that. And so for me, my mistakes are people mistakes. And I'm learning more and more how to pick the right people who I think, I mean, experience is awesome. I always talk about young people. And I, I think we've all beaten that topic to death. I think the best players should play regardless of age, but experience is critical. Being a smart person is critical, like especially if you're going to be in a management role of a company. And so I'm learning now to better evaluate that stuff and not place blind faith or trust in people just because they were one of my boys at one time. So yeah, that was, I want to put a dollar amount on it. I don't know who's watching this or listening to this. And I, you know, I already <laughs> called too many people out anyway, but it's, 
I have spent some money on people mistakes. I'll put it that way. That's a good way to put it. All right. Let's get into marketing here. Let's switch gears, dive into marketing. Now, social media, obviously, it's a big part of your business, and it really does drive your business in numerous ways. What are the benefits to social? And this might be more obvious. And then what are what are the dark sides to social? What are the costs associated with it? And how have you seen it play out in a negative manner? Because I do want to get into that too, not just pretend like it's all amazing and does amazing things for your business. Well, I mean, for me, social has done tremendous wonders for our company. I mean, we would not be the company we are without social media, Instagram and LinkedIn specifically. Yep. I don't even know if we'd be a fourth of the size of the company we are without those two platforms. Used to back in the day before the internet, it was really tough to build a company and scale it this fast. These days, pretty easy. We could start over from day one tomorrow and, and rebuild a whole lot faster than we have now. So there's a ton of awesome parts to social media and marketing. You've got this whole culture thing where you can really showcase your people and showcase people having fun, which is what we like to do. You can make yourself look a whole lot bigger than you are, which we've been guilty of doing in the past. You can make people the hero of, their, of the story. And I think that's one of the things that I enjoy most. I know it doesn't get the most likes. It only gets the most comments. But seeing my guys and girls out there smiling, there was just there was a picture posted just yesterday the day before of uh, Macy Canfield, one of our gals, shoveling tracks. Like, and I don't even really know her. That picture made my heart happy. Mm. You know, she kind of like had this smile on her face and she was like in it. Like stuff like that. I, I love social media and I love marketing. But like you said, there's a whole dark side. It's almost like if you can recall back to when you're like six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, and you didn't get invited to the sleepover. Yeah. That's what social media is for 90% of the people looking at it. Yep. You know, we can feature all kinds of awesome people on our page. But the fact of the matter is 90% of them we can't feature. We either don't have a picture of them or we didn't get to visit their site or, you know, people feel so left out. It's really tough to actually articulate how the negative impact of social media affect even our own people. And I think we do as good or better job of social media marketing as anyone. There's just people that they see something and they see a comment and it's a real challenge to a include everyone B not say something stupid because let's face it, marketing people don't always fit into this mining slash construction lingo Oh yeah, and so there's all we've we've had our foot in our mouth tons of times because we'll say something or we'll post a picture of an excavator. He posted a picture of an excavator on a bench that was twice as tall as it should have been, loading a truck with a stick and boom stretched all the way out, throwing material. It just it was horrible. Yeah, uh, it looked horrible. It looked unsafe and unprofessional. All these things. Some people just don't see that, and so there's all kinds of corners of social media that are dark and negative and scary and negative comments and negative DMs. People hit me up in the middle of the night and I got zillions unread DMs like you do, I'm sure. Oh yeah. People, disgruntled employees hit me up in the middle of the night about this or that. There's a lot to social media that I think the older folks who are not on Instagram, they win in that regard because they don't get to see and hear all that stuff. I agree. How have you convinced these older school companies that you guys obviously often do business with that it's okay for you guys to do this on their sites? Because 
you don't own any of the dirt you're moving, right? You're just a contractor on someone else's property and, and mine site. How have you been able to tell the story that you're telling on often very secretive, closed-minded you know, companies? Well, like I said, I'm, I'm normally the person that gets in trouble just in life as general. The rule of thumb, that's just, that's just who I am. So we typically don't ask. Like yeah. it's kind of the, the don't ask, don't tell thing. We don't ask permission. Now, I don't want to be a bad service provider, a bad contractor, and do things completely against the etiquette of the company we're working for. But generally, honestly, our clients are loving it. We've had one or two that, that says, hey, you know, we can't allow it on this side or whatever. But we've even had clients, and, and you know this story, we've had clients back when you were doing all of our stuff, they reached out to us to get turnover because they loved it so much. Yep. I think the industry's changing. I mean, fact of the matter is there's young people now rising up in the management roles of the, all these big companies. So it's only a matter of time before some forward-thinking people get there and get hyped about seeing the mining industry portrayed in a positive light. That's all we're doing. You know, we say the slogan around here, make mining sexy again. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to showcase people having fun, laughing, enjoying being in the dirt or in the rock. And so if a client has a big problem with that, usually it's because of a site sensitivity thing, whether it be neighbors that have filed grievances or, you know, all kinds of crazy things. But for the most part, 90% of this industry, they love what they see. I mean, that's exactly what I've experienced so far. No one says, hey, why the hell did you take that amazing picture of me? No one. So if you, if you just take, you know, if you make people look good, they're even when they don't want anything to do with it initially, they're pretty stoked about it after the fact, once they understand what you're trying to do, which is at least what I've, I've experienced. Well, um, we had a client that Volvo had come to us and asked to shoot, I don't know, like a, a vendor spotlight or a customer spotlight or something. So they came out with a big production crew and all that. Yeah. And, and, and our client was like, no, we can't allow that. And so Thomas Hahn, our COO, he's kind of a bulldog. He went all the way up the corporate ladder and said, well, give me a good reason why we can't. Like, I'm, I'm totally cool with not doing it. I just I want to know the reason so we don't screw up in the future. And he finally got to the right person, and she was like, well, actually, now that we think about it, we don't really have a good reason. So go ahead with the photo shoot. So I think there's a lot of that legacy rules and guidelines out there. Yep. Marketing. Why are you investing so much in marketing and in internal marketing? Why are you building out an internal team? And I mean, I can, I can probably guess the figures you guys are spending on all this and it's not, it's not small dollars and it's way beyond industry average, even for your, your kind of revenue. So why, why are you spending and investing that kind of money? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, they are big dollars and we, we think of them as investment dollars. If you know, honestly, being the owner of the company, if I were to take the amount of money that we put into marketing and go put it into my bank account or some investment account or start another company with it, I just don't think it yields the same results as it does here on marketing spend. I am 100% focused on growing this company into what I know the market can tolerate, especially here in the U.S. initially. But I know we get, we get to where we want to go as an organization by telling our story. And I think we have such a cool story to tell. I mean, you, you've read the articles. I mean, you, there's no one that's worked more intimately with us than you. This is an easy story to tell. 
Like it's an awesome industry. There's tons of awesome people in it. And we just need to tell the story as well or better than anyone else. And I think it just, it pays for itself three, four, five fold. I agree. I'm a little biased, but I definitely agree. <laughs> if, well, I, if any executives listening. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how many companies who are amazing. And I could name off three companies right now who do what we do as good or arguably better just because they're older. They've got the infrastructure. They've got the equipment paid for. So they, maybe they do a little cheaper. Like there's three companies that I can name right now who do no marketing or I'll say very little that could swallow us tomorrow if they really turned it on and started to pay attention and figure out social media marketing and LinkedIn. Like it's a no brainer. The only reason we've been able to do what we've done in a short amount of time, there's just these big companies just aren't paying attention to where the eyeballs are. Where are people really spending their time and energy? It's in their phones. It's on social media platforms. Like it's, it's just not tough to figure out. It's not tough to figure out, but these big companies and not even contractors, big producers, there's, there's no incentive for them to change. I mean, and we've worked with them, some of them very intimately because they're all making so much money right now. They're going to sit there and complain about not being able to find people, but they're not going to be willing to actually do anything until their, their, their facilities, their bottom line actually starts to really feel the pain. At least that's my well, theory. Well, what's going to happen is, is the next, over the next 10 years, these big companies are going to lose all of their 52-year-old bobs, is what I call them, the yeah. people that are going to retire over the next 10 years. And so they'll start to do marketing, and they'll start to dabble in social media, and you'll see these big companies now investing in Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all these platforms. The problem is it's going to be disingenuous. It's going to be too late. Yep. They're going to be, they're going to be trying to recruit people and... People can see through the BS, especially in marketing. Like you can tell, you and I both know, we've looked at enough crispy, clean, shiny new vests and hard hats to know when it's genuine and when it's not. And that's what's going to happen. So mark your calendars 10 years from now, we'll have the same conversation. Uh, and I'm not even going to comment on it because I'm going to go into a 10 minute rant that no one really wants to hear. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, holy smokes, we've covered a lot here. There's, a lot to chew on. Is there anything else you want to you wanna add before we wrap up the show here? I think something that's been on my mind here lately is, and I say this a lot, young people should win. It's not just Kobe and LeBron that get to go be successful out of high school. Like I think especially right now, our industry is ripe for young people to come in and make a huge impact, not just operating, but also climbing up the management ladder and having an amazing career when you're 30. 35, 40 years old, paying ridiculous money. By the way, a college degree is not required for a lot of those roles. I just don't believe it. But there is a level of patience that I think no one really preaches about patience anymore. And with these younger, this younger crowd, I'm the most impatient person ever. If you're 22 to 30 years old and you're giving it all you've got, sometimes it just takes a little patience for two, three, four, five years to someday look up and say, yeah, actually it was all worth it. Yeah. I don't know. That's my little spiel. I love aggressiveness and I love taking the shot when it's your shot, but there's something to be said about also being patient. And I, I have to tell myself that all the time because we've been, we've been in business now officially two years over two years now. I mean, it's probably like you, you know, everyone 
people say, you know, congratulations, you've, you've, you just, it's amazing. You know, you must be so proud of yourself. I'm, it's just amazing what you've done. And I, I sit there and it almost annoys me because I look at them like, what are you even talking about? I'm not even remotely close to what I want to do, what I want to achieve. I haven't even touched anything. I've been busting my ass for two years and I feel like I'm absolutely nowhere. And absolutely yeah, you feel like you haven't started. No, no, not even close. And I, I mean, people like you are, are probably the exact same way when someone says, wow, you know, Keaton, you've, you've made it. And you're probably looking at, I'm like, what the hell are you even talking about? Made it? I mean, no, like I, there's so much more to do, but I have to tell myself like, Hey, just stay the course. You're going down the right path. You at least can say, you know, confidently you're, you're walking the right path. Just, just stay on it. Cause it is, it's monotonous if nothing else. It's just like day after day after day of the same shit and you don't really want to do it. And it's oftentimes not that fun, but you just kind of have to believe that like, yep, this is where I need to be, but it definitely does take time still. Yeah. And that's what I'm focusing on in my own life is patience because I'm just such an impatient person, but it's so true. I mean, I feel like we haven't started and people, again, they're not at that place. They're going to think that sounds crazy. I am looking at five years from now and I can almost see it already happening. And now we got to deliver on a few things, but I'm really focused on patience. When I've made impatient decisions, whether it's in life or business, looking back, they are always bad decisions. Yeah, They're they're short-sighted. It's quick money. It's quick fulfillment. And whatever the thing is, like it just never works out long-term. So I don't know. I'm going to try this patience thing for a year. I'll report back, see if it works. So far, I'm hating it, but I'll, I'll get, I'll learn to like it. Perfect. Well, but the, the nice thing in that too is if the rest of the world is impatient and you learn to be patient or you just, you just learn to do anything that most everyone else isn't willing to do, like you have learned to just tolerate getting kicked in the nuts, you start walking into a different room than everyone else. You go to a different level than everyone else because they're just, they're simply incapable of doing it. And it really isn't that hard like to be patient or to sit there and look at the long term and just sit back and be like, hey, like just take take a moment here. When everyone else is just busting through the door, like, yeah, let's just kick the damn door in and go. You're sitting, you've learned to sit back and then you're you're watching them go into that, you know, shooting line and and go get just torn up and and you're making the right decisions and you end up being a lot further along than than I feel like the rest of the folks do. Well, and I'll just get super real. I mean, especially for the people listening who, you know, maybe you're an operator or an hourly guy or whatever, and you're looking at the next company over to make a dollar more, you know, oh, if man. you keep making those short-sighted decisions and jumping around, someday you're going to look back and say, man, I have not been patient. I've not devoted my time to any one thing. I've jumped around. I'm not fulfilled. Think of the early people at Tesla. Like they've had to endure all this crap for so many years just to now finally really start to gain some traction. Like I just, I don't know. I think there are young operators out there who if they dug their heels in with one respectable and reputable company 10 years from now, now you got to grind and it's going to, it's going to suck for a while, but you know, five and 10 years, like you could be one of the guys running the company. It's just not a crazy thought. So yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm super focused on patience. I agree with you. Yeah. And all these kids, they, I mean, the worst thing is what you just said is they'll eventually realize that they've jumped around and made that mistake. A lot of people don't even realize that though. They're just like 45 and bitter and think the world's out to get them. And 
man, I've just been screwed my whole life by, by everybody and poor me. And then they're just miserable. And then they pass that on to their kids and then their kids are miserable. It's like a, it's just this terrible, miserable cycle, but it's their fault. Like, but then they haven't, they're not self-aware enough to just sit there and be like, Hey, I'm sabotaging myself here. I'm the reason why I'm not where I want to be. It's it's a hundred percent your responsibility. Yeah. I mean, if guys like you and I can be successful, I'm doing air quotes, quote unquote, successful, which is kind of laughable for me to even say at our age. But like, if we can be quote unquote successful, anybody can go be successful. It's just, it's a mindset thing. It's patience. It's being also aggressive and assertive, but you know, it's just not as hard as some people make it out to be in their mind. I agree. Well, we are uh, way over an hour here. I had fun, bro. I always have fun with you. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your uh, vulnerability here. Good conversation. You guys are building one hell of a company. So I appreciate you giving so much time to me, and hopefully people enjoy this conversation. Hopefully, I think it's a little bit different than our last one. I mean, that was the goal, to offer something completely different, totally different perspective. I really wanted to give people a look into uh, your mind and and where you got started here beyond just the typical workforce development conversation. And I think we just did that. Well, I tip my hat to you, and I'm there's no bigger fan of what you and your team are doing it's, it's, than I am, and it's fun to watch your team grow as much as it has, especially over the last few months. But now I, I see where you're headed, and I think you've got a bright, long future ahead of you. You got you just have to deal with all the ball kicking between now and then. We're, I'm hanging in there. There's no shortage of them so far. So <laughs> I might buy a cup one of these days. Yeah, that might work. Get smart. <laughs> All right, Keaton. I appreciate it. I will be talking soon. All right, brother. Thanks again. See you. Real quick, I did want to add this. If you found value in that podcast or any other podcast, please share it. I'm not making any money doing this. I'm actually spending a ton of money to do this. So, I would appreciate it if you just shared it with someone who might might enjoy it, might find a little bit of value, even if it's five minutes of that interview or any other interview. And thanks for giving it a listen.